the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Rachel Gilbert. Welcome to the London Free Press Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. We've been talking a lot about homelessness and housing lately on the podcast, and today we're kind of focusing in the same vein, but in terms of how that's affecting our London police officers. London Police Services Board Chair Susan Toth said recently that the issues of mental health, addictions, and homelessness are disproportionately affecting our London officers. And I'm talking with London Free Press police reporter Dale Carruthers about the issue. Hi, Dale. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show today. Good. Um, Now, in terms of police dealing with um, these types of calls involving the homelessness, uh, mental health and addictions, this is not this is not a new issue. We've been they've been dealing with this for a long time, for years. This is an issue that uh, Police Chief Steve Williams has been sounding the alarm on for years, um, talking about these type of calls, um, the increased complexity in these type of calls are taking longer. There's more of them. So it's tying up police resources. Um, and uh, police didn't typically respond to these type of calls uh, years ago. So this is something somewhat new um, that's kind of fallen on police for lack of other professionals to deal with it. And as uh, these problems get made worse through addiction, the lack of affordable housing and all of those issues, it's, it's falling on police shoulders to uh, carry this. Right. Can you... Um... Can you just kind of expand on the word disproportionately affecting police? Um, because that's that's what was said. Susan addressed um, the board and the association yesterday, the police association uh, this week, I should say. And she said these kinds of calls are disproportionately affecting police. Why disproportionately? Well, I mean, who else is someone going to call when, say, there's someone experiencing a mental health crisis or high on drugs in the street, say, waving around a uh big stick or something, right? You're going to call the police. They're going to have to come out and deal with it. There really isn't anyone else to deal with it. There's uh, frontline uh, mental health services and homeless services, but they often can't deal with these calls There's because there's a potential for violence. So you need a, a police officer to handle these. So they're the ones going to these calls. Um, police released some stats um, last year and the highest priority calls, which are calls for emergencies or life-threatening situations or crimes in progress, um, we're up 27% in um, a, a six-year period. Mm. Um, and so they said that's uh, making wait times longer for other police calls. It's leading to officer burnout. They're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in overtime costs. And it's leading to situations where police can't have the minimum number of officers required to be on shift under their collective agreement. So it's having all of these uh, kind of spin-off effects of the burden falling on police and dealing with homelessness and addiction, mental health, those type mm-hmm. of calls. Do police, are they, are they given any training? They've been dealing with this for several years now or many years now. Are they given any training to deal with these types of calls or is this kind of new to them? I, I think the training is if you're a frontline officer, you're dealing with it on a daily basis, right? Uh, there would be some training through the Ontario Police College, and um, but it's, 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 it's trial by fire. You're dealing with it every day um, if you're a frontline officer. And that's who the burden's falling on, it's the frontline officers. There was a, last year, there was a non-confidence vote against uh, Chief Steve Williams. And one of the grievances that officers um, who voted against the chief aired was that um, 
frontline officers were being burnt out by the unrealistic expectations being placed on them. And so that's who this is falling on. It's not the homicide detectives, um, forensic investigators, officers working in the child exploitation unit. It's frontline officers. These are beat cops. These are the cops you see walking around. These are the cops you see speaking to homeless people. These are the cops you see responding to calls about break-ins, those type of things, the frontline officers. Mm. And that's the bulk of London police officers. Uh, they are on general patrol, generally the younger guys, uh, too. Sure. Can you talk about maybe a, a typical call? And I, I don't know how much you would know, but you, certainly you're in contact with the police a, a lot. Um, talk about a typical call, maybe involving someone who is homeless and in crisis at the moment or someone who has mental health issues and is in crisis and the police are called. What do they do? Where do they take them? And, and what happens in the end? You know, like, how do they get them some help? OK, uh, yeah, this might not necessarily be a typical call, but this is one um, that I know about through the court system that just showed the complexity of uh, the type of calls London police can deal with sometimes. There was a mm -hmm. woman named Deborah Christjohn. She was from the Oneida of the Thames First Nation. And um, police received a call that she was trying to get into vehicles in the East End. And she was suspected to be high on drugs. And so... They went out to the scene. As they're going to the scene, they saw that they had dealt with the same woman the day before. She was high on drugs at the time, and they had taken her to the hospital, and then she had been released. So they go out, and they arrested her again. She was high on crystal meth, and and the officer had her in her custody, and he was transferring her to the OPP because she had an outstanding warrant by the OPP. Um, she's high on crystal meth, and... She starts to go into medical distress, according to what we heard in court, while he, while she was in this officer's custody, and he transferred her to the OPP, and um, her condition came to deteriorate. She went to the hospital and, and died, but um, and he's been convicted in that case, though it is under appeal, and it just showed the complexity of the call in the sense that you are dealing with someone who's high in crystal meth, someone they had just dealt with yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. She's wanted by another police service. Um, you, if you were to bring her to the hospital, that could eat up the rest of your ship while you sit there. So the Crown alleged that this officer was just trying to ship officers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a predicament. Police might not deal with every day, but there'll be similarities there, dealing with people who are in a vulnerable state, right? These mm -hmm. officers have these people in their custody are responsible um, for their lives. And these are people who are often sick. They are intoxicated. They could be going through withdrawal. So there's a lot of issues here. And the police union has raised this concern before saying we're dealing with the most vulnerable people. And if something goes wrong, um, we're the ones who are on the line here. We could be criminally charged. We could face civil lawsuits. Um, so it's easy yeah. to sit back and uh, blame police, but uh, they're dealing with just very complex situation on a daily basis. Absolutely. I mean, all of these homelessness, mental health, addictions, they're all complex issues. And when you don't have somewhere else to take them for supports, yeah, it would fall on the officers. So let's talk about burnout because a lot of the officers, um, certainly the police services board and the union has said, I mean, officers are dealing with complete burnout. Um, so have you talked to any officers? Can you tell me a little bit about how they're feeling and and what they're doing to help themselves to get support support themselves if anything 
Yeah, well, uh, London's Deputy Police Chief, uh, Stu Betts, um, gave a presentation to the Police Services Board, I believe it was last year, and he said at any given time, typically 10% of the London police force is off on some sort of leave. So that could be related to mental health, could be related to sickness, could be maternity, could be paternity, but that's one in 10 police employees is off the job. He said many of them won't ever come back. So that's a big issue when you have 10% of your workforce off at any given time. Um, to fill that hole, you have to have people pick up extra shifts through overtime, things like that. And the more, more police work, the more likely they are, they are to be burned out. So it, it, it's a constant problem, not just in London, but police services uh, across the country. And London's a lean police service. They've um, been approved to hire 52 additional officers and they say those officers are much needed to kind of relieve the pressure on these uh, frontline officers who are facing these increased demands. So the 52 officers, um, if they get final approval of city council, will be hired over a multi-year uh, term. And uh, we'll see if that helps. Uh, but I mean, the calls for service are only increasing. So it's gonna, there's going to be pressure no matter what. You can't really hire your way out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but 52 seems like a lot more than they've asked for year over year in the past. Is that right? It's it's all going to be over a multi-year period. It is uh, the largest contingency of officers recently, but it will be over a multi-year period. Three to four. Um, but again, when you have 10% of your staff off for any given reason, um, like it'll plug that hole theoretically. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, recently we've heard that in the fall alone, there was four officers in Canada who've actually taken their own lives while on duty. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the causes behind that? I think it was the four officers who were killed in the line of duty. Um, that, that was what Susan was referring to in her letter. It was, uh, there was one out in BC and in Toronto and near Barrie. It, yeah, it was a, it was a series of, uh, police deaths and it just hammers home the risk that uh, police officers have. This is a job you can go out and not come home doing, right? That's mm -hmm. different than most people's job. And uh, the um, the hostility towards police is increasing. We saw that happen uh, during COVID and it seemed to have only got worse. There's a lot of people out there who don't like police officers for various reasons. Um, and that may have been uh, behind at least some of these killings. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's a dangerous job. And when a police officer dies, even if it's in Vancouver, it really takes a heavy emotional toll on the police officers here because it's really, it's a brotherhood and sisterhood, this profession, right? They really relate to each other because they're serving their community. They're putting their lives on the line. So when um, these police deaths happen, you'll often see uh, London police brass, the deputies and the chief will attend the funeral, right? Even though they may not have known these officers, they likely didn't. It's just about paying the respects and this uh, this shared sense of loss that police have. So that adds to police stress too when you have a string of deaths like we had the four in the fall. Absolutely, yeah. It it you know makes it all the more real to all the officers who are working. Talk about some of the effects that um, these stresses of of the job and dealing with these types of calls have on the police officers' families maybe some of the civilian workers who are in uh, working with the London police, how are they affected? Yeah, I think that the, the effects on the families is an interesting uh, part. I mean, it's a story I really haven't been able to get to, but 
when someone has a mental health issue like PTSD or something, anyone around them is a fact debt. Um, so that's something I've heard anecdotally uh, police officers, how they've sought help uh, for their mental health issues because it was taking a toll on their family is often a catalyst for seeking help. Sometimes you hear them talk about that, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not like you take your uniform off and you come home and everything's good. You're going to bring those issues home. I mean, it's journalism is the same in that sense, right? If I was at the scene and I saw something traumatic out of my day, I might come home and bring that home with me. So um, Absolutely. first responders, they just deal with a lot of trauma and you'll hear it. How, how it affects them. It affects everyone differently, but I, it can really take a toll over time and have the proper supports. And London Police have a psychologist on staff. Um, they hired a couple of years ago and they've taken a lot of steps to really address mental health. That was one of uh, Chief Steve Williams' uh, pledges when he became the chief was to ensure officer well-being was a priority in the force. Um, so it's being spoken about a lot more. Like the taboo is gone of... Uh, past years when you didn't talk about mental health among policing. It's a huge topic. There's, a, there's one police officer who has a police who has a service dog um, who's really helped him with his PTSD, he says. Um, so just lots of different approaches to this. And you can see the way it's improved and the conversation is moving. And I'm sure it will only improve as time goes on, though the challenge will still be there. Sure. And I think it's the same for all first responders, you know, firefighters, paramedics as well. I've got your back 911. We hear that a lot more now. So certainly I hope I hope you're right in that the stigma is at least uh, lessening. Um, as you mentioned, Chief Williams was really is really championing uh, this and, and trying to find solutions so that officers don't have to deal with these types of calls as much. But he's retiring. Right. So what is the plan going forward after he retires? Because he's been really a sounding uh, outlet for this. Right. Yeah. We're going to have to wait and see who the new London police chief is. Um, we'll find out in the new year. Uh, the process to recruit a new chief is underway now. The London police board has hired a executive recruitment agency to assist in that process. Um, and so the new chief will lay out his or her vision and I'm sure officer wellness and um, easing the burden of frontline staff will be two of the main priorities um, mm -hmm. as they were for chief Williams. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see what the game plan is there. And Susan Toth had mentioned in her um, address that there are challenges ahead with this um, dealing with these types of calls, right? Like this isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah, it would be, it'd be naive to think that's going away. Well, there's been no, there's been no solution. There's no magic bullet to make it go away. And then in 2023, um, London, the London Police Association will, is negotiating a new contract with the Police Services Board, and there will be a new police chief. There'll be at least one new deputy police chief because one of the two deputy chiefs, Stu Betts, he's going to Peterborough to be the chief there. Um, so there's going to be a lot of changes. And a lot of work for the police board, the police union, police brass. So uh, 2023 will be a big year for policing in London. Okay, well, we'll certainly um, look look ahead to see what maybe some changes, if, if they're good, uh, hopefully, are, and how they will address these issues um, with uh, our police officers. And we'll keep up with your stories on LFPress.com. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you. Look forward to talking again.